prepared to stop drinking and setting stuff down and making noise? Um, not really. <laughs> I mean, look how much muffin I have left. Anyway, hi guys. I'm Marie. I just put muffin in my mouth. Madison is eating a muffin. She has a muffin and water. I try not to let her have anything when we're recording. Oh, look, there's a hole in my muffin. Yeah. Like, like I just put... It's, it's a type of bread. That happens, Madison. Madison is like the loudest swallower that has ever lived. So I try to restrict her from bringing food or beverage down to the recording room. But we're recording at a super weird time right now. And we're just like... I'm hungry. She's hungry. I'm tired. Like, we're going to try to pull our shit together so that we can actually like produce a podcast But I don't understand why no one has ever told me that I'm a loud swallower before. So loud. She's so loud. Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we're here recording Lost in the Woods. So yeah, uh, how are you guys doing? I'm tired. (laughs) The the world's a little crazy right now. Yeah. Hang in there everyone. I know everybody's dealing with a lot of probably, I mean like uh, stress, anxiety. We've got the quarantine. We've got all this other stuff going on. Just try to hang in there. We're, We're hanging in there. You know, the world's falling apart. Let's talk about some, some dark things. Maybe talking about some dark things in our podcast will distract us from the actual dark things that are happening in our lives right now. Today, our episode's a little different. I started researching a particular episode, and then that led into me researching another episode, which led into me researching another episode. So basically, our episode today is going to be on the Joshua Tree National Park. So Joshua Tree National Park is in the Mojave Desert. It's in the southeastern part of California. Okay. Okay. It's been a national park since like 1936. The Mojave Desert is a place where it was common for bodies to be disposed of back in the day. Mobsters Mm. would roll their victims up in carpets and throw them out into the desert. Okay. So there are some things to worry about in the desert. Naturally. So we have mountain lions out there, which... According to everything I read about California, they're really docile. They don't really attack humans and they really avoid humans, which is not what our mountain lions have been doing around here. Apparently, there's just been like, I feel like there's just been a trend of people getting mauled by mountain lions out And here. there has been. So maybe the heat keeps them more docile in California. I don't well, know. I feel like the heat keeps cats more docile. So it makes sense. But so they're a little more docile there than they are here. We talked about mountain lions, I think, in one of our earlier episodes. Yeah, the mountain, the, the mountain bikers. Don't leave your friends. Yeah, I think it was Pinnacle Lake. Actually. It might have been Pinnacle Lake. Either way, just go watch all our episodes, listen to all of them, and you can hear that story. <laughs> <laughs> if you just find the right episode. It's a good one. It's a good story. So there's also coyotes. Vultures are really more... Coyotes and vultures, really. They're more scavengers. So coyotes and vultures aren't really going to harass you unless you're already in trouble. Scorpions and snakes are also part of the desert. Kind of the same way. They kind of won't bother you unless you bother them. Right. If you're paying attention, then you're less likely to Mm -hmm. encounter them. Our first story, I will warn you, is kind of a rough one. And we're telling these in chronological order. So that's why this one's first. So this is the only one that's not 
exactly a hiking one, but the rest of them are. Okay. So hang in there. In February of 2010, the McStay family disappeared, vanished. How does this happen? I do not understand. So Joseph and his wife, Summer, and their two young kids, Gianni, who was four, and Joseph Jr., who was three. I think he might have actually been two getting ready to turn three, or he had just turned three. Either way, young. Either way, he's young. He was supposed to have a birthday party two days after they went missing. They were reported missing 11 days after they were last seen by a human. My question is 11 days. Like, that's a long time. So how does a family with two... Like, small children. Two small children, and I assume at least the husband works. Some of it is explainable, a little okay. bit, to a degree. Husband's self-employed. He oh, okay. had okay. his own business. He worked at home. Wife was a stay-at-home mom. Second, the family kind of thought maybe they went on a vacation and forgot to tell us. They didn't want to yeah, like overreact and have cops be like, um, yeah, they're in California on vacation. Okay, well. Well, they're in California, but like, oh, they went to Mexico for vacation or, you know, something along those lines. I would hope that if I was missing for 11 days well, before that. And they did say, too, that it was very unusual for the family to not be in contact with their extended family. And their entire family was worried, but nobody pulled the trigger on actually reporting them missing. Until February 10th, which was 11 days after they had last been seen. Crazy. Or talked to. So police went and checked the house, but they didn't go inside the house. Yeah. Because they needed a warrant. So the police get there. Nothing looks amiss from the outside. So they don't seal off the house. They get a warrant. They're not concerned with a crime scene. Yeah, so the dogs were outside with no food and no water. Yeah, and this was an immediate concern for friends and family because these dogs were like their kids. They would not have left them outside. Another alarming thing that they found when they did enter the house with permission from the police was the house was kind of a mess. There was like half-eaten popcorn bowls laying out. The kitchen was a mess. The garbage, it smelled really bad because the garbage hadn't been taken out. There were eggs on the counter. It almost looked like they had left in a hurry. Okay. Another concerning thing. That is concerning, but it's also concerning that the police haven't gone inside the house and made yeah. this a well, crime scene. Even when they did go into the house, they didn't immediately make it a crime scene. So Josh's mom actually cleaned up because it smelled bad. She was, you know, that's what I would do if I walked into a messy house. Well, not now because I know not to disturb a crime scene, but she just started cleaning up. And his brother even took his laptop and, like, a SIM card that was there to look at it and see if he could find any information. So we've got severe contamination on this crime yeah, scene. Yeah, for sure. A neighbor's CCTV surveillance mm-hmm. camera caught the family SUV pulling out of the driveway at 7.47 p.m. on the last day that anybody had heard from them. Okay. So 11 days ago... The van leaves the driveway. 7.47, that's almost 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock leaving with the 3 and 4-year-old? That's kind of late for... I kind of thought that too. And for the entire family to be leaving. I mean, they were obviously settling down. They were eating popcorn. They were... This is not a normal time that I would leave the house with my children. I wouldn't imagine that anyone with a 3 and 4-year-old would be like, 
Because even if you needed something, one of you would go, not all yeah. of you. And also, why would you leave everything out if everyone's going to go, right? But, I mean, maybe they all wanted to go to Dairy Queen and get blizzards. It's hot, you know, maybe they wanted a treat. But it's it's strange. The condition that they left the house in, the way that things occurred, I find very strange. Also, at 8 o'clock, you're getting your 3 and 4-year-old Dairy Queen? Later that night, and when I say later, I just know it was after 7.47, so uh, in the 8 o'clock range somewhere joshua's phone did make a phone call to his friend chase so his name's actually charles but everybody calls him chase this was his friend and it was also his business partner so they were partners in the business that they owned a call is made to chase he does not pick up the phone so it did take the police four days to get a search warrant Four days after 11 days of them missing. With two small children. I think at this point, though, the police were like, they probably took a vacation. Calm down, you guys. So once they did get their search warrant, they did find something on the family computer. Okay, so one week before the family disappeared, someone had searched on their computer about how to get children into Mexico. Yeah. So that's kind of strange, right? Very interesting because... And this is going to spiral the investigation into a totally crazy direction. It's going to really put a damper on the investigation. You have your children's identification and you take them across the border legally and that is how you get your children into Mexico. Yeah, well... I'm just... (laughs) I don't know. I've also heard that at this time, the checks going into Mexico, you could really just kind of go into Mexico. It wasn't very difficult. It was getting back over that was more difficult. I could see that. Four days after the family disappeared, their vehicle was towed from a shopping center near the Mexican border. Mm, Another link to Mexico. They already assumed the family went on vacation. Then they see they were searching for how to get kids into Mexico. And now their car's been found by the Mexican border. There was even a surveillance footage, like surveillance footage of a family of four crossing the Mexican border on foot. And this was on February 8th. Which is the same day that their car was towed. The family sees the footage and they're like, that's not them. So I have a couple of immediate issues hearing this, right? My first issue is, if their car was towed on the 8th of February and they walked, quote, across the border that same day, why would their car be towed in one day? Less than a day. They drive to a shopping center. Oh, They park their car. It gets towed and then they walk across the border to Mexico? Yes, that doesn't make sense. So that's the first big issue that I have, right? My second issue is, why is there not video surveillance of this shopping center there's a bank in this shopping center facing the direction of where the car was where's the video and then also why would they walk into mexico why wouldn't they drive their vehicle it doesn't make sense it's late at night right also the family said that they never went anywhere without their double stroller which both my sisters have small children close together in age, and they Mm -hmm. live and die by their double strollers. This family, they went to the beach a lot. They did a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Their double stroller was always with them. And at this time, it's in their garage, just chilling out. And where were they from the day that they pulled out of their driveway to the day that their car got towed? True. That's four days. I mean... I'm sorry. It just doesn't make sense. Anyway, okay. The family is gone. Weeks go by. Months go by. And then years go by. And this family's just gone. Just. They're just gone. Well, they went on a family trip on foot to Mexico. Oh, yeah. They're chilling in Mexico. With 
what seems to be no background issues, no reason that they would have fled no, the, to Mexico. His or like his that. business was actually successful. They weren't in financial trouble. Like they, they seem to yeah. be doing really well. The only thing I can think of is for some reason they were into something illegal. They were scared for their lives. They took off because they felt threatened that day. They hid out in a motel somewhere, and then they're like, "Let's go into Mexico." That's the only thing that I can even kind of see. But there is no indication. That, that there were any financial troubles, that there were any illegal issues, nothing. Yeah. So, okay. Okay, so in 2013, a man was riding his dirt bike and discovered four bodies partially buried in the sand. And this is in Joshua Tree National Forest. Yes, which ties back in. Yeah, you guys, this is so, so sad. It was confirmed to be the McStay family, all four of them. So their bodies were found in two shallow graves and the entire family died of blunt force trauma. You guys, and this is a rough one, they were all hit in the head with what the police think was a sledgehammer. I can't. I literally can't. I hate hammers. (sighs) I don't like hammers. We've talked about hammers. I can't do it. I don't like hammers. So they also believe that Summer, the wife, was raped. Her jeans and her underwear were found off of her body like they'd been pulled off together. And they were found in the grave up by her head, not on her. Which, I'm sorry, I just, I literally can't. This is so, it angers me so much. And they were like a hundred miles from their home. Yeah, and not a hundred miles towards the border of Mexico. So Joshua Tree National Forest is actually not too far away from the Mexican border, but still far enough away Right. That it kind of, like, it it discredits. But you guys, get this. The police are still like, maybe they still went to Mexico and then they got killed there or they came back and got killed. Like, the police will not let go of this. They walked into Mexico. I cannot stand it. I'm sorry, but they never went to Mexico. No, there's no way. In my opinion, there's no way they went to Mexico. Especially after their bodies are found in Nash, like, in, in California. Yeah. I think, I honestly, I think they died the day they went missing. I would assume. Okay. So Charles or Chase Merritt, whichever one, was arrested for the murder of the family. Yeah. So this is kind of a crazy turn of events. Yeah. So he had owed Joseph over $42,000. Right. And he had actually been pilfering money. He wasn't just borrowing it. Yeah. like Maybe some of it, but he was also writing checks to himself. He was also stealing money from the business. Cool. We love that. Cool. So Charles's cell phone had been in the area where the bodies were found just days after they were last seen. So that would be, to me, when he disposed of the bodies. Yes. So maybe it took him a couple days. Like, maybe, I, I don't even know what happened. Well, Because, spoiler alert, he is still to this day denying that he had anything to do with their murders. So we don't know. Sorry. He also called seeking to close McStay's online bookkeeping account. Yeah, and this was after he disappeared. And I think the reason I'm guessing he did that is because he had been pilfering money and he didn't know what the police would find. Little did he know, the police weren't really going to look at him at all until after the bodies were found. So he didn't even have to go through that trouble. But I will say, this makes me really mad. This asshole actually did an interview with CNN while the family was missing before they were found. They're like doing these like musical close-ups of him, like all distraught. And he's actually implying that Summer was controlling, and he even insinuated that she might have been poisoning her husband. So he's like, 
He's like, no, they had some real issues. Interesting to me. Yeah, so he's like, oh, they had all these issues, and the family's like, what? This is what you're going to bring up in a CNN interview? Right. When you're the one that killed them. Come on. But he's definitely playing, like, the sad friend, business partner victim in all of this. It's maddening. Like, I watched it, and I was like, oh, you skeezy little, ooh. So Charles also implied that the family messed up by not reporting them missing right away. But, like, why wouldn't he report them also missing? Well, he, at the time, he was playing, like, the helpful friend. You know, he was meeting them at the house. He was trying to check on the family and do all of that. So he also claimed to be the last person to see Joseph alive. Yep. And he said when Joseph called him that he didn't answer and... And part of that was because he had spent a couple hours with him earlier in the day. And he said he was just tired and didn't feel like answering the phone. Why wouldn't you just say that you missed the call? And he said that because he told police that he looked at the phone, saw it was him calling, but didn't answer. And that he'd have to live with that for the rest of his life. Hmm. One of the theories that I kind of have is that it was actually him calling his own phone with Joseph's phone after killing the family. Maybe he used Joseph's phone to call his phone because he lost his phone in the car. Ooh, that could be. He couldn't find his phone, so he was like, oh, shit, I gotta find my phone. I I think that if, I don't want to say I think if he is guilty, then he had already killed them by this point, but I kind of feel like the evidence is a little flimsy on him. Am I the only one that feels that way? No. So I think that the evidence is pretty flimsy, but there's a motive. He owed a lot of money, and also his phone was near the bodies. Right, and I think that in the desert, I mean, it's really hard to get an accurate ping signal in the desert that he actually affects that. So I would say that they probably had him within a 10-mile radius of where the bodies were found. True, but why is he in the National Forest? Well, but it's a popular hiking area. Like, I mean, I don't know. So I don't know how I feel about about necessarily saying that he's guilty I feel like he is... I mean, he was found guilty. He's on death row right now. He was sentenced to death. Wow. So he was found guilty. I think they deliberated for like four days or something like that. I just... I'm struggling with the evidence. And maybe there's more evidence that we don't know about that wasn't reported. Because the trial was a very long trial. So there's a chance that there's more that we don't know about. If that's all the evidence they have, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. With that. I totally agree. There's probably more stuff. Yeah. There has to be. There has to be. Okay. So that is pretty much the end of the McStay family disappearance. Yeah, which is crazy. It's a crazy one. And it's so, so sad. Like, you can see these videos of the family online. Uh, Also, how... I get that you owe money to the father, right? You owe money to the husband of this family. Why? So this is kind of messed. Why not just kill him? Well, so if you're the business partner and you want to inherit the entire business, if the wife is there, she still owns half of it. That's the only thing I can think of. I guess, but like a three and a four year old. I know it's like it's really. If Chase did this, which we're assuming he did, because he's been found guilty, and we like to believe that that only happens to bad people. We know it's not true, but we're going to pretend like it is. The fact that he could do this. I can't. So, not saying it's not messed up to kill anybody, 
but this is especially children? disturbing. I young, absolutely agree. Young children. Yep. With a sledgehammer, let alone. So we're moving on to June 24, 2010. And this case involves Bill Owaski. That's Owasco? a cool last name. No. Bill Owasco. Still a cool last name. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's how you pronounce it. So he's 66 years old. He's an avid jogger and he was in really good shape. So he did a lot of jogging. He did a lot of hiking. He was a very active 66 year old, right? Yeah. So he planned to go on a solo hike in Joshua Tree National Forest. That's how you die. Where, that's that's how you die, where he had hiked many times before. Okay. So he planned on hiking Carrie's Castle. Which was a really isolated hike, and it actually wasn't even on their maps because they didn't want to encourage people to go on this trail because it was a more isolated, dangerous trail. Cool. I'm going to go on it. I know. Me too, a little bit. Or it's 7.5 miles. It's 1,276 feet of elevation. Yeah, so it's a pretty long one. Yeah. The elevation's not terrible, but you have to remember when you're in the desert heat, it feels a lot worse. Yeah. I remember hiking in a, over 100 degree heat. Yeah. That's gross. I didn't mind it, actually. It wasn't that bad. I just sweat. I sweat so much. Well, desert's much. also more of a dry heat. Like, your sweat kind of evaporates before you okay. even have the chance I'm to talk- sweat. By the way, I'm talking about hiking 100 degrees in Europe. Yeah. Where you hiked during Which is totally different. Couple- so, it is different, but still I feel like, I still feel like I would sweat a lot in the desert. You, you you surprisingly don't, and that's what fools people into not realizing they're dehydrated, actually. So he had packed a lunch, water, and some snacks. The temperature that day would be around 100 degrees. Yeah. His girlfriend expected him to check in by 5 p.m. that night, so that was the deal. It's cute. Just like when old people have, like, girlfriends and oh, I know. boyfriends. Just I, with, I think that's really cute, I too. think it's cute because I, I don't know why. I totally agree. So he had given her an itinerary. He had called her on his way to the trail. He was scheduled to check in with her at 5 p.m. So she tried calling the ranger station after 5 p.m. when she didn't hear from him, which she thought was probably a little crazy because maybe he didn't have good reception yet. Mm -hmm. But they were closed, so she wasn't able to get a hold of anybody. When she hadn't heard from him by the next day at 8 a.m., she was able to reach the ranger station. They went and checked the lot of Carrie's castle, and it was empty. No cars there. Suspicious. So rangers realized that his pass had not been scanned entering or leaving the park. Yeah, so this is kind of weird, but kind of not. So I don't know if you guys have ever waited in a long line in a national park, but when people have passes sometimes, they'll just wave them by to get the line going faster instead of actually scanning them. The fact that his pass wasn't scanned didn't mean he wasn't there, but it made them think, maybe he never came into the park. Maybe that's why his car's not at the trailhead. He's supposed to be at, maybe yeah. he wasn't here at all, right? But it's, like, understandable that his pass wouldn't have been scanned. Yeah, they, I mean, the park even admitted, like, sometimes we just don't scan passes. Yeah. Okay, so on June 26, 2010, two full days after he had went missing, a highway patrol helicopter finally spotted his car. Yeah. So his car was in the Juniper Flats trailhead parking lot. This is the trailhead that you would go to if you were going to go up to the Quail Mountain Trail. So that's a much harder trail. It's about 12.8 miles, and it's 1,679 feet of elevation gain. Mm -hmm. This was not a trail he was planning on hiking, and for some reason, he ended up here. Some reports also say that his car door was open, but 
then some don't. And the pictures that were taken of his car show the door closed. Well, also, personally, if I was another hiker and I was happened to come across someone's car in a parking lot and the door was open, I would shut the door. Okay, and we've actually done that. I have definitely shut people's trunks before. <laughs> well, and one time we were hiking Sock Mountain and we got about halfway up and somebody, we were hiking with the baby, somebody caught up to us and they were like, were you guys driving a silver SUV? And we were like, uh, yeah. They were like, did you mean to leave your back gate open? And we were like, uh, no. And they were like, oh, well, it's open. And I'm like, great. We're like three miles up. What are we supposed to do about it? But then this guy was coming back down and we were like, hey, can you close our car? <laughs> our silver SUV in the parking lot. Will you close the trunk? And he was like, oh, yeah, no problem. So we've closed trunks before. Yeah. And there was a hiker that did hike this hike that day, but he did not mention whether or not he closed or opened yeah. the doors. So this confirmed that Bill was indeed in the park. So now at this point, they're like, oh, maybe we should start searching for Bill. And this park actually does seem to be pretty good about getting on mm-hmm. searches for people. They just didn't know that he was exactly in the park because they couldn't find his car. Yeah. His park, his pass wasn't scanned. She so. also gave the ranger of a bunch of hikes that he had had on his itinerary. And they were all further, like really far out, like more than an hour drive. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's part of why the helicopter started being utilized for that. Yeah. So they even drove up an old service road calling for him, like on a loudspeaker. Yeah, so on this particular trail, you can actually get further up on this old service road, but it's closed. You People do hike up that way sometimes. You just can't drive up it. But you can't drive up it unless you're a ranger. So a ranger was left in the parking lot overnight and just in case Bill found his way back down. Which I think is actually a really good idea. Like, they left somebody stationed there to wait for him in case he happened to stumble out throughout the night. Because they couldn't start their search. It was too late by this time. But the official search started first thing in the morning. One thing that they did find while searching was a red bandana at the ridge near Quail Mountain. So that would be at the end of where this hike was. Two things about that. First off, People leave things at hikes all All the the time. time. Trust me, I put most of them on. But remember, in the desert, it's easier to tell if things have been disturbed than where we hike. True. You're right. Okay. So it looked like it hadn't been there for long. Okay, so searchers came, some even on horseback, which I think is I want to be that kind of searcher. I want to be out on a horse searching for people. Okay, so search dogs were also brought out. And they used clothes from Bill's rental car to get the scent for the dogs. Yep. And helicopters were also brought into this. Yeah, another thing too to keep in mind, dogs, scent dogs especially, they do struggle more in the heat. It's harder for them to follow scents in the heat. Yeah, it's a real thing. I don't even think I knew that. So that night they found out that his phone had pinged about 20 miles from the car. Yeah. Crazy. Which... Gave them hope, I think, that he was still alive. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Because if you're out there, if you're lost, you're going to turn your phone off probably to conserve your battery and just check it periodically in True. hopes. Kind of like what we thought they did on the Panama. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The girls. Mm-hmm. So they brought thermal imaging into... Into play at like, this point. Yeah. Yeah. 
So remember too, thermal imaging can be difficult to use in the heat as well because rocks can heat up as much as a body can. But they're like, there's a chance that he's alive out here. Like we need to bring out every tool that we can to try to find him. On Tuesday, they found two water bottles hidden under a log. They're like, oh, yeah. And the scent dog actually indicated on the water bottles and the bandana. So they're like, oh my gosh, these items might actually belong to Bill. Like we're on to something. Like we are finding clues that he's leaving behind. Unfortunately, though, another hiker did come forward and claimed the water bottles. But here's my thought on why the dogs may have like thought, oh, hey, like this is Bill's is because maybe Bill touched them. Maybe I mean, he had found them when he was lost and like maybe he's like out of water or I feel like if you're in the desert, you're going to try. I mean, he could have found those water bottles. Uh, they were still in the same spot that the hiker had hid them. By the way, don't leave your garbage anywhere. I feel like that if carry I was... It, carry it out with you. Yeah, no, for sure. Carry out all your garbage. But yeah. I feel like that if I were in Bill's situation and I saw water bottles, I would probably pick them up as well. And since I am lost, I would probably put them right back where they were because... Yeah, pick them first up, off, make sure there's not any water in them. Yeah, first yeah. off, not my trash. Second of all, I'm lost, so I could care less about someone else's trash. Well, actually, when you're lost, too, they say that it's better to leave your trash because that leaves a trail for you. Mm-hmm. There's a Stephen King book. It's called The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. And as she... It's about a little girl who gets lost in the woods. And as she's getting lost in the woods, she's being very careful to clean up her mess pick up her garbage make sure she doesn't leave anything because that's what she's been taught to do where searchers are like well actually if she had left any of that trash we would have found her and known that we were searching in the wrong direction so what we're saying is don't leave your trash unless you're lost in the woods and then you can leave your trash that's the only time though yep that's it only time okay either way this did bring the dog's ability into question i would say Yeah, unless Bill touched the water bottles, which there's no saying that he didn't. Right. Okay, so there was a witness that came forward. This hiker's name was Greg. He had parked in the lot at 1020 the day that Bill went missing, right? Bill's car was not in the lot when he got there. When he returned between 530 and 6 p.m., Bill's car was there, but there was no sign of Bill. So... The weird thing about this is that leaves a two, at least a two and a half hour gap from the time that he called his girlfriend and told her where he was to the time that he could have potentially gotten to the lot. And he was only a half hour away from that trailhead. So, so there's unaccounted for time automatically right now. And one of my thoughts is maybe he headed in the direction of one of the other hikes that he wanted to go on changed his mind, decided he didn't want to drive that far out, turned around, found a different hike, and that would account for the time discrepancy. Yeah. I mean, I don't. we don't really know that that's all speculation, but there is a weird two-and-a-half-hour gap. Interesting. Yeah. So then on July 5th, 2010, the official search was called off, which is always terrible when this uh, happens. I know. It is unfortunate, but, like, at some point... Well, we're talking 11 days after he goes yeah. missing, right? So the likelihood of somebody surviving in that type of heat, That's like it. 11 days where we live, you're we're still searching. Three months, we're still searching. But in a place like Joshua Tree, where it's over 100 degrees, 
the probability of somebody surviving that is just yeah. so low. And like we have water here. Well, not only that, but it also puts searchers in danger as well, being mm-hmm. out in these conditions. So while the official search was called off, the unofficial search has continued for Bill. There's actually been so many hours of people logging their searching, like grid searching for him, trying to find him. But Which he's still crazy. He's still missing. So he has disappeared off the face of the planet. Vanished, yes. Which I'm always shocked. We're, Still we shocked. Are, we're always shocked. This area does have a lot of old mining caves. It has caverns. It does have steep cliffs that you can fall off of. There's a lot of terrain that is very difficult to get to. And considering I just hiked in the desert, granted a different desert, I can see how easy it would be to get lost out there. To fall off of an edge, to fall into something, and have it be an area that searchers just can't get to. Yeah. It's scary because people really do just vanish. They vanish. But then there's hundreds of thousands of hours of hundreds of people searching for these people and they still are never even found. It's madness. Okay. So we're moving forward to another case. Different case. This one is more recent. This is in July of 2017. Yep. July 28th. Yep. Yep. This case is about Rachel Gwen, who's 20, and Joseph Orbeso, who's 21. They're both from Lakewood, California, and they took this trip into Joshua Tree National Forest to celebrate Rachel's birthday. And these two had previously dated, but at this point, they were just friends. So they were going into this hike as friends. She was actually interested in doing the hike with a boy that she had a crush on, but he wasn't available. And so she brought her friend along. So they set out to hike the Maze Loop Trail, which is 4.7 miles and only 360 feet of elevation. Yep, which is probably a good choice because these two hikers are not experienced hikers. Yeah, that sounds like a good hike to me if you're not experienced. And even the 4.7 miles might be a little much in the heat, but it's also very warm. True. But they are from California. True. So the temperatures that day would hit over 100 degrees. By the way, a lot of people choose to avoid the parks during the summer months because it does get too hot. So when the couple did not return to their Airbnb the next day, the owner got concerned and actually called the police. Which is a good thing. Yep. So they had left their clothing and iPod and food were all found in their room. So the couple's car was found in the parking lot. So a massive search ensued involving aircrafts, dog, horses, search and rescue, and workers on foot. Like we said before, like this park is really good at jumping on to searches, on bringing they have horses. in all the stops. And they do a lot of the searches that they do, they actually do find people. They have horses. Like alive. So they actually do find people alive a lot of times, which... Is probably due to their quick response. Yeah, it sounds like they have a pretty quick response on all of these. So on October 15, searchers found two water bottles and a pair of spent 40 caliber casings. So continuing east, they also found an e-cigarette holder. What's an e What's a holder? I don't know. Kind of, you got like a, like a thing on your belt. I don't know. Do they have like cases maybe? I mean, I... Sure they do. I've just I don't. Or maybe I... they just mean like the e-cigarette, like the 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 actual device. The device. I mean, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I just never. 
I've never personally seen anyone with a like a case or like a holder. Well, somebody had that because they found it. Okay. Anyway, they also found a pocket square, which is odd. Two black sneakers and a partially empty bag of beef jerky. Why is everyone taking off their goddamn shoes? Did you see the video that I posted of yeah, the hiking I shoes? Know. They were your size, by the way. Sorry. They were nice shoes too. I'll post the video for you guys though of the shoes that I did find while I was out backpacking. I think I posted one video, the one where I'm dropping down into the canyon. But inside that canyon is where I found the shoes. Like, how did that person get back out? Everyone I don't know. Everyone needs to stop taking their shoes off. Leave your shoes Leave on. Leave your goddamn shoes on, please. It's so weird. Like, where are you going to get barefoot? Nowhere. That's the answer to that question. Nowhere you bad. will get nowhere yeah. without shoes on. Okay. So these items that they did find, they were scattered throughout the wash, which is consistent with them being taken by rain runoff. So they started somewhere else and they were brought to this area. Okay. So they didn't necessarily drop them here. Like, this is just where they think they ended up. About 500 feet away, they found Rachel and Joseph. They were inside a steep canyon to the far north of the Maze Loop Trail. Police actually had to go into the canyon by air in order to retrieve their bodies. In case you didn't catch that, they're not okay. They both had gunshot wounds from a 40 caliber gun. Which, if you remember, those were the casings that they found. So it was thought that Joseph had shot Rachel and then shot himself. Now, it's not quite that simple, though. Early reports indicate that the couple was suffering from elements and from thirst at the time of their death. So they didn't die on day one. You know, they didn't go out into the desert to kill themselves. Yeah. This wasn't a murder-suicide that was planned, I don't think. They were starving and they were... They were dehydrated. Like, they were suffering from the elements at the time of their death. Their bodies were found under a cat's claw tree. Yeah, trying to get some shade. It's about the best they could probably do in this area. They had positioned their clothes to cover the lower parts of their body, and it appears that they had been rationing their food and they had no water. Yeah, so remember, they found empty water bottles and they found half a bag of beef jerky, so that probably got washed away after their death, maybe. Because they were trying to conserve their food. Which I cannot imagine how terrifying that would be. So the gun found had been registered to Joseph. Which, he was a security guard, so that's not totally crazy. Although I don't think most security guards carry guns. It did appear that Rachel had been injured. And that Joseph may have been trying to care for her. So that could be why they stopped hiking. Or why they hunkered down. Or just to stay in the shade. You know, thinking... We have a better chance of being found if we stay here, or it could have been due to her injuries. They think that he may have shot her out of compassion and then shot himself. Her t-shirt had actually been wrapped around her head like a bandage. But by the time they found them, they couldn't tell, which I find that so sad. I do not like it at all. So the gun had three spent cartridge casings in the cylinder. They each had one bullet in their head, had a third shot been fired to try to signal for help, or to scare an animal away. I could see either of those being possibilities. I could see either of those being possibilities. Especially if she was injured and she couldn't walk or couldn't go anywhere. Yeah, I can totally see that. She also had a band-aid on her right knee, which just had like a cut and did not seem to be a serious injury. Ugh, this part's rough. So the two appeared to be embracing each other. The thought process is that they were faced with a choice to 
die a slow, painful death, or to die a quick one. Their bodies were found only two miles from their car. Oh my god, that's terrible. Two miles. Ah. But here's the thing, you just don't know. You don't know how close you are. Also, by the way, we're not heartless people reading this or like researching this kind of stuff. That's another thing. I know that we probably seem like this doesn't bother us. We seem like, you know, we're joking around sometimes. It's definitely not our intention to give that impression. It's just how we handle it. Well, I feel like that if I don't like joke about this... Like, be like, not joke about the subject in general, but like have like lighthearted conversations. Try to have, yeah, it. try to break it up a little. Because it's so then sad. Then I would probably go crazy. They did find trace amounts of cannabis in Rachel's system, but she actually had a license to consume it. So we don't know if she was actually smoking it out on the trail or not. And they also found hallucinogenic mushrooms in the car. So rather or not either of these things played a role in what happened to them, we have no idea. I tend to think probably not necessarily, yeah. but you you never know. I mean, hallucinogenic mushrooms can be pretty intense and can cause disorientation. So yeah, we don't know. We don't think so, but that is something that they did find. So that was the case of Rachel and Joseph. Now we're moving on to our final one. We have a couple of tidbits at the end of different situations, but this is our last like full case mm-hmm. in this series. On July 13th, 2018 is when this one takes place. Paul Miller, 51, from Ontario, had been married to his wife, Stephanie, for 26 years. Paul was an avid hiker, kayaker. He loved the outdoors. He actually worked for a company that invested in water filtration systems. He had his degree in environmental science, and he was able to travel all over the world working for this company. His company even paid his salary after he went missing. That's pretty cool. That is really cool. So his wife now is a kindergarten teacher, but I think she started this job after he went missing. But she's a kindergarten teacher and they have two grown kids. They were just starting the empty nest part of their lives. So the summer of 2018, they had set out on a trip to visit national parks. Yep. And guess which park they were at? Yeah. Yeah. Joshua Tree. So they had breakfast at Denny's. So he decided that he wanted to get in one more hike before heading home. Right, so they were catching a flight that day. While looking at a map during breakfast, he realized how close the 49 Palm Oasis Trail was. Which sounds cool. It does sound cool. You actually do hike to an oasis. Stephanie decided to stay behind and get ready for their flight later that day. Yeah, and she was not as fast of a hiker as her husband, and she didn't want to hold him back because he really wanted to get all the way to the oasis, and he also wanted to find mountain goats. Yeah, and it didn't really sound like that she was as avid of a hiker as he was. Okay, so 49 Palm Oasis Trail is 2.8 miles and only 620 feet of elevation gain. Yeah, so it's a relatively easy one. He's got plenty of time to get that done before he has to go catch his flight and meet with his wife back at the hotel. Especially since he's like an experienced hiker. It's still cutting in a little close for me. So he left around 8 a.m. and the temperatures that day would go up to about 100 degrees. Yeah. Common theme here. But he did have three liters of water with him and he had food as well. He'd also been camping in the area. Okay. So he was very familiar with the heat and how your body reacts to it. So Paul was spotted on the trail, but he never made it back to his hotel. So the hiker that did see him on the trail said that he seemed to be in good spirits and that he was on a mission. 
Well, I would also be on a mission if I had to go catch a flight. Right? You don't want to miss your flight. That's a very big inconvenience. That witness also said that there was a van that had four young people in it, but those people never came forward. And have never been found to this day. But the thing with that is that this is a common tourist area, so it's possible that these four young people are from somewhere completely different, and once he went missing and the story got out, they probably never even heard the story. Right, they might not even realize that they might have been witness to something that day. They have no clue. They stopped at the trail, they went hiking, and then they went on their way to wherever they live or whatever they're doing. Yeah. So his wife got concerned when he didn't return because they did have that flight to catch. She called the park rangers around 11 a.m. There was a park ranger on the trail by noon looking for him, which again is amazing. They initially weren't that concerned about... Paul, but when she told them that they were supposed to catch a flight that day, that did place more urgency on the situation. Yeah, because like no one misses a flight. Paul did not have his cell phone on him, which wasn't unusual for him. Yeah, he often hiked without it. He had his camera. While rangers walked the trail, they called his name and they were still unable to locate him. They then brought dogs in and used Paul's clothing in order to try and find him. So the next day, a massive search ensued. Casualties among searchers began to develop mostly due to the heat issues because we know it's really difficult in this terrain. Also, search dogs had issues with scent and one even burnt the pads of her paws because the ground was so hot. They actually make like special booties for dogs to wear out in the desert and stuff. I don't remember how you're supposed to test if the pavement's too hot for your dog, but I know there's something you're supposed to do. Uh, Lay your face on it and see if it hurts. I don't don't think it's that, but I think it's (laughs) something. But you're supposed to do when it's like super hot outside and you need to like walk your dog or something, you're supposed to do something. Oh, I'm sure you are, yeah. They did use helicopters to do this process. It's you take rapid photos of like a large area. And then they're analyzed through a program that looks for anomalies, such as color or things that don't quite belong. And then it pulls up those anomalies for you to closer inspect them. So despite this massive searching going on, they were not able to find Paul. Right. They even had, I mean, they had dogs, they had people, they had horses, they had helicopters, airplanes. They're pulling everything out to try to find him. Yeah. And still nothing. And we've seen this before. After five days... The probability of survival diminished so much that they dropped down to a more minimal search, which to me is like a more recovery search rather than survival search, Yeah. right? Because I mean, five days in the heat, like there's no way you have water anymore. And without water out there... I mean, we saw that in the last case where they were so desperate without water that they felt like the best route to go was to kill themselves. Which I'm, I'm a waited out kind of person. Like I'm going to suffer to the end in hopes of getting rescued. But obviously they would not have been rescued before they perished. So did they make the right call? I don't know. But Stephanie had returned home at this time. She was basically told that they were only looking for his body now. Mm. And she had believed at this time that it had been foul play. We see this a lot. She thought he hasn't been found. We saw this in the Samantha Sayers case where... When it got to a certain point and she wasn't found, the family started turning to the foul play theory, right? Like, I think her mom still believes that there is foul play in that case, Mm -hmm. right? I think that when we can't make sense of it or we can't understand how crazy this terrain is, 
That's just where our minds go. Yeah. Most likely scenario probably in most of these cases is that they fell, right? The least likely is usually that somebody harmed them. No, we're not saying that that doesn't happen. As we know. Pinnacle Lake, they were murdered on the trail. Like this does happen. Yeah. But I think that it's a lot more rare than somebody getting lost or getting hurt. injuries. Yep. Another thing is, could he have had a medical emergency? Like, could something have happened where he had a, maybe like a heat stroke or something like that and left the trail to try to find shade, to try to find a place to bring his temperature back to normal? I mean, I could see an experienced hiker doing that. Like, okay, I know I'm in trouble. There's no shade on this trail. I need to get myself to a spot where I can get some shade, I can drink my water, I can eat my snack and be good. And then maybe he has a heart attack or something. I mean, we really don't know. We really don't know. Yeah. Also, we know that he was looking for bighorn sheep. So which are not necessarily going to be on the trail, right? They really like the rocky terrain. So he may have tried to get closer to one, like seen one in the distance, tried to get closer to it and ended up falling into a crevasse or falling off of something. Yeah, who knows? Gotten lost. I mean, we just don't know. But this was a very easy hike. And most people hike it all the time, a lot less equipped than he was. We see it all the time. You know, people heading up a mountain where we live in their flip-flops with no backpack, with no water, no supplies. And we're like, maybe you should turn around now. Crash noob, because I'm always wearing my giant backpacking backpack. I always have all my crap in it. Yeah, we usually hike with our pack weight, regardless of how easy or hard the hike is. One, then we're used to it. So when we do go out on longer hikes, it's not difficult for us to carry a 25-pound pack. And then, yeah, we have our first aid kits. We have our hammocks. We have everything that we might need if we did get lost in the woods. We have shelter. My sleeping bag did come in handy one time. I had the kids with me and you Oh, and what? Sh- uh, Shani, we went yeah, further. you went further to, like, the upper falls, and we stayed down at the lower falls. Mm-hmm. And we were freezing sitting yeah. in the hammock. So I actually pulled out my sleeping bag, and we used it like a blanket. See? Sometimes you complain about me making you carry your weight, but it turns out good sometimes, too. So this national park, and by the way... I just hear it in my head right now. We've been calling it a national forest this whole time. Because that's what we have here. We have national forests here. It's a national park. Sorry, guys. Don't yell at us. It wasn't intentional. But I literally just realized we've probably said it 10 times. Sorry. True. All of ours are called national forests up here because they're literally forests. Yep. So So sorry if we've been annoying you with our national forest in the desert talk. (laughs) This national park went from about a million visitors a year to about 3 million visitors a year. Thank you, Instagram. Also, this national park is near Coachella. Yep. Even with this increase, I think that this park has acted very quickly. Oh, yeah. Vesper Peak did a great job, too, with their search, like getting everybody out there and getting search because they got such late notice. So something that's kind of ironic, there are no cameras at this trailhead, which is funny because it's actually the trailhead that they've had the most rescues at. It's only two miles. Maybe, but that's the thing. People think it's easy because it's only two miles Uh, and that's where they head out. I'm going to die on that trail. (laughs) There's no camera in the parking lot, so they could get no additional information from that either. Okay, so there is a grocery store that faces the wash coming out of the Oasis. 
And they actually put a camera in there because a lot of hikers who get lost on that trail end up coming out this area because they can see it from the top. So they see there's a store down there, there's a town, there's something down there, and they head towards that when they can't find the trail. So they actually have put a camera up there so that they can see if anybody comes by that area like a lost hiker. That's funny. Isn't that funny? But Paul never came down this section. Police did dig into Paul's life. They didn't find anything alarming. No indication that maybe somebody followed him. Or that he fled. Or or that he fled, right? Him and his wife were enjoying this great vacation. They were looking forward to this next stage of their life. So that was pretty quickly discounted. So in December 2019, a nonprofit drone group had a breakthrough. Right, and the family actually was trying to get this drone group to be able to fly their drones through this area for a while, but you have to have special permitting for it. And the Yes, because you can't bring your drones into national parks. Yep. In December is when they got approval and they were able to get drones up there. Crazy. So in an aerial photograph, a drone spotted human remains in a difficult-to-reach area, hmm. and these remains were confirmed to be Paul. In his backpack, they found water and food. Yeah, so this bothers me, right? So he didn't die of the elements out there. Correct. So he still had food and water in his backpack. But I'm thinking that since he was in a hard-to-reach area, he may have fallen. Right, possibly. So they did do an autopsy on what was left. There's not a lot left. And they found zero signs of foul play. They found zero signs that maybe he fell and like was unable to walk, things like that. My thought here is that he had some sort of medical emergency and either a heart attack or something like that. And he had gone to this hard to reach area because there was an amount of shade there. So there was an area that he could get into. So he may have just like had a heat stroke and then... Had a heart attack. Had a heart attack. Something something like that. that. But he was off trail. He was in an area that searchers couldn't get to. And he had food and water. So that's the story of Paul Miller. So we've kind of brought you guys a little bit of everything today. We've got murder. We've got missing still. We've got found. We've got crazy what people think is a Romeo Juliet story. I'm not convinced of that. But yeah. For special mention, in 1960, Charles Manson actually settled with his followers in Death Valley National Park, which is only about four hours away from Joshua Tree. Cool. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. Another thing that I think is very interesting fact or crazy, uh, in 1973, Graham Pearson, he died, I think of a drug overdose, if I remember correctly, and his buddies hauled his body and his casket. They stole it from the airport. And they hauled it out to the desert in Joshua Tree and set it on fire. Cool. So Graham Pearson, if you don't know, was a member of the Birds. He was also a member of some other bands before that, but the Birds is probably the most well-known one. They sang the Tambourine Man and the Turn song. So in June of 2014, 19-year-old Aaron Corwin was found in an abandoned mine shaft. She had been strangled and she was pregnant. A man named Chris Lee, who was in a relationship with her, was convicted of her murder. Then in April 2018, 76-year-old David Swell was lost for three days 
and they only found him by following the circling vultures. Can you imagine you're like in the desert and there's like vultures just waiting for you to die? Like that's how close to death you are. So he was was found alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was actually found alive and rescued. So in 2018, a body was discovered near Bighorn Pass, partially buried. Yeah, and since people do not bury themselves, obviously this is foul play. Yes, so scavengers had been digging up his body, though. Like, I assume coyotes and vultures and such things. Yeah, so once the gases start to release, the smell will draw scavengers even if the body is buried. And they will start to dig it up. Also, 2018 is the same year that they found Paul Miller, which is kind of crazy. So they found two bodies within like a month of each other in 2018. So the body found at Bighorn Pass was found to be Henry Stange, who was 54. And I'm guessing that case is still unsolved. I'm not really sure. Joshua Tree National Park is only a few hours from Los Angeles, Phoenix, and Vegas. Right. So this makes it a pretty good area to dump bodies. This area is more than 50,000 square miles. So it's a pretty substantial area. The reason we just gave you like a small synopsis of those other cases is they were harder for us to find information on. Yeah. So we couldn't find a ton of information on any of the cases, but we were able to find more information on the four, which is why we combined them all together for you guys. And so basically, watch your back when you go into Joshua Tree National Park. I know, right? Apparently. <laughs> Apparently. Not watch your back. Maybe get some GPS. Maybe get like a GPS beacon or something like that. Something. So that you can quickly be found because the rangers are going to be on it. On it. Yeah, they no, are coming be, to look for don't you. Don't worry, you get lost. <laughs> they'll be looking for you within hours. But... but we're not so good at finding people, so maybe maybe get carry a, a beacon. Yeah, I something. Don't know. Yeah, but yeah, that's our episode on the Joshua Tree National Park, and we want to go there. So I do. I want to go to the Oasis. I want to go to the Oasis too. Yeah. So maybe we'll uh, have to go do that hike. That could be fun. But yeah, thanks everybody for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Yes. Thanks for sharing us on your stories. We'd love to see more of it. We would love to see more of that. We officially have the entire United States. All 50 states. Yeah. Thanks for whoever talked the Alaska listeners into coming on board. And thanks for coming on board, you guys, because we finally got Alaska. It was our last state. But we do have a bunch of places to scratch off this week. So we'll be doing that and we'll be posting that. But we really appreciate all of you guys showing up and listening and interacting with our social media. You guys are amazing. We love you. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. Yeah. And we will see you next week. Yes. Yes. Bye, guys. (laughs) 